This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, the Lakers lost Game 3 of the NBA Finals, 115-104 to to the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler went absolutely nuclear. As And look, listen, we're giant Laker fans, but we love basketball. Is that not obvious, the way we talk about scheme, data, adjustments we love basketball right jimmy butler did something incredible last night and he beat the lakers by himself almost and we'll get into the details of what happened but i think we just got to start with holy jimmy butler he out lebron james lebron james he had the ball in his hand every second of the 45 and a half minutes he was on the court he directed things he didn't have a single personal foul tim jimmy butler holy cow right yeah, that's surprising, especially for how physical he is on on both ends of the court. And, you know, with, with Miami down a couple players, they can still be successful. And, and we saw them be successful in previous games when they were doing the right things. But it's just been about cutting down the fat in their approach and really streamlining stuff. And like you said, Jimmy had the ball in his hands a lot. He was the facilitator. He was the playmaker. He was the scorer. He was getting rebounds. I think this was the first game LeBron James in the finals has been out rebounded, out assist, and outscored by an opponent or or a teammate. Yeah, um, that's right. So just just an incredible game from Jimmy, and really, honestly, a really good, uh, incredible performance from Miami's coaching staff as well. And we'll we'll get into that. And LA threw a couple punches back, so the, the game or the game within the game, there were a couple standout performances, and you know we're, we're obviously sad to see the Lakers lose. If if you picked LA in five or LA in six or LA in seven, like you need a loss along the way to get there. There's a lot, I think, to leave this game feeling good about, but also a good bit to feel concerned with. But I mean, if you just want to feel good, we had AD in foul trouble, which doesn't usually happen, and he'll probably play more moving forward. LA shot okay on their open or wide open threes, but they can do even better. And 36 of their 40, 41 threes were open or wide open. So that's a good process sign. Um, you can look at the fact that Jimmy did need to do everything. And when he wasn't on the court, LA was killing Miami. And just maybe he might regress from an ISO standpoint, or maybe he'll wear down a little bit. I think there were some things that Miami did that LA just hadn't seen before in the playoffs. And throughout the playoffs, we've seen LA just take a game to adjust to those new concepts that that are thrown at them. But now that we've seen it, we should be okay. 
Um, and then also, if you just look at LA's scoring in transition, we scored like 0.74 points per possession, which is just terrible. And we, we scored two points on six putbacks, which are usually like a point and a half each. So there are a lot of little areas that LA could have gotten more points in the free throws too. just little areas we can definitely do better. And I would expect for us to perform better moving forward that can leave, you can leave this game feeling good about those areas. But there were also some things we saw that were really smart from Miami that do give me a little bit of concern. Yeah, Miami did a great job adjusting to exploiting the advantages they have. And Jimmy played like LeBron, like I said, and that was not something that we'd seen from him this series. He had had a game or two in each series up to this point, but he really put it upon himself to take command of the offense. And the Heat really did struggle in those like two and a half minutes that he wasn't on the court. Kendrick Nunn and Kelly Olynyk pick and roll wasn't getting them anything, obviously. And it was really just all on Jimmy with Goron out and Bam, you know, still kind of like on the fringe of coming back. But, you know, the Lakers, honestly, I was tweeting this all game that I didn't feel like they deserved to be in this game. The Lakers have had one of these games in every series up to this point. This reminded me the most of that 20 point, you know, deficit to Denver in game three, which also, you know, coincidentally was game three. Now that I think mm-hmm. about it. And the Lakers brought themselves back with that 3-2 zone, you know, in the fourth quarter. They didn't really have any business having a shot at that game either. And the Nuggets ended up closing them out. But we've seen one of these games, and only one, fortunately, every series. So the Lakers have been good about adjusting to how they've beat themselves and how they're allowing teams to take advantage of them. And Anthony Davis playing just under 33 minutes and getting nine shots up. Like they know that he needs to get nine shots up every half he plays. And it's more than just the box score. It's being aggressive. LeBron had a quote that once he gets in those foul troubles, he can get a little passive and credit to Vogel for not taking him out after he picked up that fourth foul early in the third, because Mm -hmm. AD still had some nice plays with the the three and the, you know, the alley-oop from Rondo. You got a good little run there, but that's why you trust your star to kind of stay on the floor. But then that's the, the danger of it, right? Is that he has to play a little bit more passively. And when you have the most dominant physical player on the floor right now, you, you need him to assert his physicality much more aggressively. And, Anthony Davis being out there as just the seven foot wing is nice, but it it's not going to be good enough to be a Jimmy Butler and a team like this. So getting into kind of the nitty gritty of this, we saw in game two, uh, we didn't pod after that. So we'll kind of touch on, on some of it briefly. Miami used the zone much more on over 70 possessions in game two, I believe. And they did a little bit better than I expected, but they definitely got that zone busted over and over again with really high quality shots for the Lakers. And they adjusted by not running that this game, Tim. So what do you think is Spolster's kind of like thought process there? And does he go back to the zone in game four? You think, what did you see from that tonight? Or last I night. thought it was really smart from Miami to adjust. And in game two, we saw from just from an efficiency standpoint, they weren't getting killed in it. But from a shot quality standpoint, LA was doing a really good job. And Miami got a bit lucky in terms of just the Lakers missing shots. So instead of sticking with something that hadn't been working and waiting until you actually do lose using it, Miami stayed ahead of the game and they made that change. I think Synergy only had uh, Miami playing three possessions 
this game of zone. I had them at four, but one of them was, and this keeps happening. My, uh, I'm sorry, ESPN keeps uh, showing these replays and then missing the beginning of plays. Um, yeah, and it's and the we worst. saw that once. There was a lob, a spinoff lob that uh, was thrown right. into AD yeah. against Jay Crowder, who was on the wing in the zone. They didn't count it as a zone. It was zone. Um, but we saw two possessions of 2-3. We saw two possessions of 3-2. And four out of four times, the Lakers attacked it in a smart way that generated a high-quality look. They scored, I think, five points in the four possessions. But every single time, they knew what they were doing. And I think that was enough. I, I mean, I don't mind it for Miami throwing it in to see how Ellie will react. Because in game two, while we did figure it out at times and had some of the right attacks going, we also had a number of possessions where we couldn't get anything going. So if entering this game, LA were a little bit more unfocused and didn't get into the right looks immediately, especially with the zone just kind of be, being thrown in instead of just Miami starting with it, I can see the the path for them to continue using it until we improve against it. But LA kicked butt against it four out of four times and we didn't see it again. What we did see instead was a man-to-man defense that looked very different from game one. If we think back to game one, really what was giving Miami issues defensively was the fact that they were giving up really easy switches. And LA was able to hunt whatever mismatches they wanted and go right after them. And LA wasn't really pressuring the rim enough or pressuring Miami's defense enough to really justify giving up those switches. And it seems as though the Heat figured that out. In this game, they were much smarter about not doing that. We also saw Miami be smarter and and double hard and send help when it came to isolations and post-ups against AD or LeBron. In game one, they were sending those double teams from the guy right in front of them and giving up wide open shots. This game, we didn't see that at all. The only times we did see that double come was when AD or LeBron turned baseline and suddenly there was somebody coming from their blind spot. And and once they would turn baseline, the defense on ball would try to push them back towards that that help that was coming that they couldn't see. And they turned us over a couple times. They sent more help against our blind spots once when AD was in the middle of the court, but he had his back turned, I think, to the right side of the court. So the defender behind him, I think it was Olenek, just ran over, double teamed him. I think he turned the ball over that time as well. Just he couldn't see it. And those little smart, you know, here and there, if he can't see you, go after him sorts of plays, I think were really, really smart from them. We also saw some stunting rather than hard doubling against LeBron. Um, so he had fewer wide open kick out threes to give uh, passes to. We saw some paint packing. Um, in game two, we did see, I think I had four or five possessions where Miami sort of tried it, but it was pretty weak. It wasn't, you know, there were guys along the outside of the paint, but not actually in a position to really deter a drive. This game, we saw it and we saw it done right. And we saw it done the way that we saw it used by Denver. And that worked pretty well for Miami. We also saw some work before the catch, which especially against AD, it caused turnovers at the beginning of the game. It got Miami some runouts and easy buckets, and it helped keep AD out of the game, especially with him being in foul trouble and not being able to like be as handsy with those post-ups. So we saw for the first time in the playoffs, a team front him or play three quarters high and, and make... Uh, really dictate to LA where they had to throw that ball if they did want to get it to him. If you remember, this is what we used against Denver last series whenever, well, not every time, but at some points in time when Jokic had mismatches and it worked really well against him where we had a guy in front of him and then we have that help behind in case they tried to lob it in. 
LA faced that same thing for the, this is, you know, the first time we've seen it. And as we've seen throughout the playoffs, and I think, like you said earlier, game three of the Denver series is a good example of kind of what this game alludes to, um, where we were facing things, we didn't have the adjustments, but after the next off day, we came into the next game and, and we knew what we were doing. And then moving forward, we were okay. This game, we didn't seem to know what we were doing. Um, we did have a couple counters uh, with lobs to Howard, but whenever LA wasn't playing big, we didn't have any sort of counter to this. And even when we did have that lob guy there, if like Danny Green had the ball, he was on multiple occasions less willing to make that pass. So there are counters. There's more that we can do. You can just like flash a guy to the high post and then have AD seal his man off and play high low, or you can even have AD go set ball screens and then he's essentially screening two defenders instead of one defender, and then you can turn the corner. There are a couple different things we can do, but LA was all right. They'll be better moving forward, but I think that was effective as well, not just at lowering our efficiency, but preventing AD from getting those post touches. Overall, we saw Braun get four points on seven isolation possessions, six chances, and then he had one where he didn't get a shot off. For AD, he had 14 points on 13 chances, plus another three where he couldn't get a shot off. So that that's what my logging looks like. And I think that was a really big piece of how Miami slowed down LA in general and specifically what the Lakers were killing them with in the first game where we just picked mismatches and went right at them. Yeah, after the first uh, timeout in the first quarter, the Lakers ran a play where uh, they were trying to get the ball to AD in the high post and Crowder started fronting. And they had done this the previous couple of plays and, and forced some turnovers. And what Vogel did was they want to reverse that post up to the other side of the floor, right? So imagine on the strong side, on the right side, you have LeBron uh, on the wing. You have KCP kind of like near the corner for the entry pass and then AD at the high post with Crowder fronting him. So they'll swing that ball to LeBron, the, the guard on the other side. Actually, I think the guard on the setting the screen was KCP. So it was Danny Green on the, other, the first wing. Danny, uh, KCP comes down and sets a cross screen for AD to go catch the post up on the other side. Mm-hmm. And and Crowder's not going to be able to get in front of him that well and gamble for a steal because he's fronting him on the other side. So AD runs to the other side plus a screen. And if they switch that, you can get you know an open three for KCP uh, or just make them play straight up they're not going to want to switch so exploit that you know and then if ad can seal a little bit deeper that gives him a little bit closer to the basket as well but that play that i just described is a good counter for what they're doing but it didn't work because any ad got trapped from the baseline like you said yep. and he it caused a turnover and he really has been hot and cold so much with his pass outs this year that I get encouraged by, you know, when he has a few games in a row where he's making crisp, like good passes. And then not only is the decision making poor, sometimes the execution leaves something to be desired too. And he's just too big to not have passing lanes. The way LeBron jumps up to pass down, you know, with authority AD's really struggled, and that was kind of the blueprint we laid out for Denver, right, was pack the paint, you know, double on AD, make these shooters to take the most threes in a finals game in NBA history in in game two, and the Lakers shot well, which helped them win that game. But we've described the kind of strategy that has been effective at limiting and, and, and giving the Lakers problems, but 
again, returning back, do you think you see a lot of zone in game four? Because I still don't. I still think they're going to make the Lakers beat them with their successful now, like fronting of AD strategy and really just pressuring the ball and trying to make KCP and Danny Green beat them off closeouts. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they'll continue playing man-to-man defense. There's more flexibility in what they can do from that, whereas with the zone, LA can kind of pick their spots, and we saw us tear it apart last game. It, it just the, the final score didn't reflect that because we shot enough to win, but not well enough that not not, right. not as well as we right. could have. Um, right. But like you said, like this this is the blueprint we've played we've laid out before. If you can prevent ad from getting those comfortable mid-range shots because you're right into him and you've got guys behind you to to protect the paint impact the paint and then you send doubles once he when he once he starts dribbling that puts him in a tough position and you you make him a playmaker off the dribble under pressure often with guys standing around on the weak side and actually we saw on one occasion when they did send a double we saw one of those pin and flare screens that we've spoken about before that ended up getting a wide open shot but I think AD actually airmailed the pass so it's not just run the right counter to it you you need AD to be aware of it you know that the the help might come baseline it might come from the top and he needs to get that pass off and he needs to get it off on target which isn't always something that we can just assume when AD's patient and he surveys the floor and then he attacks he's been much more successful. There there was a time late in the game where he found Markeith Morris for an open three because he was facing the rest of the court. He could see what was happening. He saw where the help was coming from and he saw who was open all, all at the same time. When he's really backing someone down and he doesn't see anything and then the help comes and then he needs to turn and make a split second decision, there's a lot going on. You have to read so many different variables and those are just harder decisions to make. And then once you do make the decision, harder passes to get off so I think him being patient him facing up is something we've spoken about before would help in these situations being aware that there's likely help coming from the top of the key once you do turn baseline and your teammates being aware of that so that player who's being helped off of go run to the strong side corner and and get right in front of him or have their your teammates set a flare screen on the weak side so if if he is cut off baseline he doesn't need to turn back into the help he can throw that drift pass like we saw LeBron could have thrown on one of the final plays of the games where, where LA ran that hammer action flare screen. So just give him options that make sense against what we're being, what we're being shown. But I don't know, 80s passing is kind of like Kyle Kuzma's three-point shooting where like, depending on how he gets to it, you almost know whether or not it's going to work. And uh, I think we can do a better job improving those situations. So Assuming we see more man, there are definitely adjustments to it. I assume LA will have a better game plan. And some of the things we can do, we did do in this game. And some that we didn't do, we've seen LA do in the past. Um, So it's not an insurmountable uh, challenge. I think just after a game, uh, one off day, getting ready for it, we'll we'll be in better shape. The other part of that man-to-man defense that we saw Miami be really smart about was the defending ball screens. Uh, versus Rajon Rondo, they were going under his, they were playing drop coverage, which almost every time negated those actions. So Rajon Rondo, for for his good and his bad, one of the areas that he usually does pressure the defense is with the pick and roll, but with them defending it that way and him not reading it, him not seeing when he had guys popping wide open, that makes him, that, that makes him lose so much value offensively. 
versus LeBron. They were often going under ball screens to protect the paint. And, and he didn't do a great job attacking that. LA didn't counter it well. And we've spoken before about the different counters you can have to that. We saw the Lakers run a ton of their inverted pick and rolls where LeBron would have the ball and a guard would come set a screen for him, whether it's Caruso or Rondo, or we, we saw a couple times them both come set that, that double high ball screen. We've seen Danny Green, KCP, a bunch of different options. But like we said before, we're seeing these guys go set that. And then instead of sprinting to the three-point line and, and taking advantage of maybe being open or forcing a switch, they're kind of lingering in the mid-range area, which isn't super useful. We don't want Danny Green getting a short roll and then attacking. We would prefer Danny Green go set that screen and then sprint to the three-point line and maybe he has an open three. But because he was lingering and because literally just about every single one of those 19 times Miami was running a like a show and recover defense where there were, let's say Danny Green set the screen, his man would step out hard and not and, let LeBron turn stay the there and stay there for three seconds until yeah. the screen guy gets a step up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it, it th- think about it this way. They're giving us the four on three that we gave Houston or that we gave Portland. And instead of ha- attacking it in, in any sort of, coherent way a lot of those times we just had that guy lingering around and then being like oh you know what i should run to the three-point line <laughs> a couple of times we did this with kuzma as the screener and he when he slips that's a big body you can get the ball to and he scored off of that but when we had those players linger in the mid-range area that wasn't successful despite that we still scored 22 points on 19 different attempts with these inverted pick and rolls because we also saw la use some really smart counters Either it seemed like they had no idea what we were doing and they were lingering in that mid-range area, or we saw one time where LeBron kind of strung out that hedge and then turned the corner. One time he, he strung it out and then hit Markeith Morris on a pop. We saw LeBron one time reject the screen and drive right past Jimmy Butler and LA got an open three from it. We saw LA, one time we saw him wait out that show. The guy, I think it was Duncan Robinson, get in his face, you know, he stepped out and then he left. And Duncan Robinson was anticipating that LeBron's defender would recover to him, but I think I think it was Caruso just kept setting that screen, and then LeBron was just wide open for for a th- he took a three he could have driven. So there's some different things we saw there that were smart. One thing that I really liked that we saw a couple times was LeBron trying to split that because Duncan Robinson is not a good perimeter defender. Um, Tyler Hero is not a good perimeter defender. These are guys that if LeBron's aggressive and he makes that quick crossover and then shoots that gap he can get downhill and then all of a sudden we get shots at the rim or fouls or kick out threes. That's good offense. Or because like you said, they're lingering they're the, the, the defensive players they're they're showing and then they're staying for a couple seconds. We, a few times had, I don't know, we'll say Caruso set that screen and then you end up with Miami players on both sides of Caruso. And then he flipped it so that both players were on one side of him. And then LeBron went off that pick and roll in a different way than he originally was was going to use it and you got past both of those players and LeBron got downhill so there were ways that LA quickly countered that in this game attacked it pretty smartly scored incredibly efficiently when we did what should have happened but when we had those guys linger around it just wasn't efficient offense so I don't think we need to stop running these because our efficiency was okay I think we should keep running them Just make sure everyone's on the same page for how to attack it. For Kuzma, you probably want him attacking it in a different way than Rajon Rondo or Alex Crusoe. 
or being more picky about who's setting those screens. So I think Ellie can just refine their approach rather than try to ditch that plan of attack. But that was another thing that I thought was important in this game because we saw just a ton of it. Um, we, we saw far fewer just normal ball screens um, with like Howard or AD. I'm not even sure if we saw any LeBron AD uh, pick and roll this game. But when we did see uh, LA set those normal ball screens against with, with, with a big man, Miami was using those catch hedges, those soft hedges. And LA's adjustment was running ball screens on the empty side and then in, in going towards the middle and then making that roll instead of a, a short roll for Dwight Howard at like the, the free throw line. He was catching the ball at the block and able to go finish, finish strong. So LA adjusted well there. We just didn't have a ton of those opportunities. And when we did try to attack from the top with that, it didn't do anything. And, and uh, if we just had LeBron and AD run this and AD pop, that should be open with how they're defending it. And for them to stop that from happening, they would probably need to switch. So uh, LA can do some really simple things to turn the tables on and, and really dictate to the defense what looks they want. If what worked in game one was getting mismatches and you want mismatches this game, attack them that way. If, if you're trying to get mismatches off of those screens by guards, which worked in game one, we've seen that Miami's not willing to give those up as easily. So you might need to run those instead of from the top of the key where LeBron's not in a great position to shoot, run them closer to the basket and, and, and then for, have him just go post that guy up that, that runs that show and have your shooter sprint to the three-point line. And then all of a sudden you, you can force that switch. But LA seemed to start this game assuming that Miami would continue switching like they did in game one and they just didn't. And it took us a little bit to respond, but credit to Vogel and his staff. We did. And overall, we still ended up having decent efficiency on these. So let's, let's talk about something real quick. You kind of touched on there at the end. You know, I gave these guys a little bit of a hard time on Twitter, you know, watching the film again, I think when we talked about this a little before that we started the pod, but it looked more like Miami just had really good adjustments and the Lakers were doing the schemes that they were coached to do that they were prepared to do. And they were unfocused, I think is the word that we came to, to represent their disadvantage in this game. And Vogel made adjustments, but it seems to be in-game adjustments are a little too little too late for this team, at least in the four losses they've had in this postseason. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I don't think not any of these guys aren't playing hard. These guys are in the finals. I think they all recognize that. I think it's reductive to say that. And I don't want to be that guy. I think they played unfocused and there was a lot of, you know, bickering about that should have been a switch. That should have been, you know, the coverage. You got to get your head in the game. That was the wrong coverage. You know, you're, you're not, we're not on the same page, I guess is one way to say it too. But what yeah. did you think about that, at least briefly, as far as how they can get their stuff together for game four? Yeah, and we saw that bickering and we saw the those discussions, If especially if you pay attention after plays are over or after a made shot happens and you just look at the reactions of players. And we've seen that happen all year. That can be a positive thing because these guys are trying to figure out what happened, how to fix it. Commitment, we, right? We approach it the right way. We Those guys are willing to have that feedback. The fact that LeBron and AD are ones often driving that and holding each other accountable helps from a cultural standpoint. But the fact that it happened as much as it did this game lets us know that we were missing some things. And part of it was were execution errors. A lot of it, and so much more of it, I noticed on film than watching live, was 
let's, I'll give you an example. So defending pin downs where the, the Miami big man runs towards the corner, sets a screen and their guard or, or Duncan Robinson or whoever sprints off of that along the three point line. We had been defending that where we would eventually switch it, but for a split second, we would have Robinson's original man kind of stay on him and then veer off and then take that big. And for the first two t- times we did it, it was fine. And, you know, we ran the coverage we did. It worked well. The third time, later in the game, same action. But this time, Miami knew that we were going to be defending it the way we were. We ran the exact same thing we normally do. The same coverage, the same execution, the same focus, most likely. It was in the game plan. They, they did what they were supposed to do on this play. But Miami, knowing that was coming, countered this and had that screener slip really early. And because of that, and because we had had the screener's man stepping out to meet Robinson, they were just wide open at the rim. And that was really smart. And the fact that they also had a flare screen on the other side of the court so that the other two Laker defenders were occupied made sure that when Jay Crowder did slip to the rim, he was completely wide open. So if you want to see that live and say, oh, there should have been help weak side, well, not really. As long as they were defending that flare screen, they shouldn't be, like, that That was their job. On the strong side with the pin down, you can say, oh, that was a bad switch. Well, it wasn't until Miami made it a bad switch by countering it the right way. So in that sense, and we saw this a few different times, we saw this with the Chicago action that Miami ran as well, where they ran a pin down into a handoff. L.A., you know, one or two or three times defended the action the way we did. We stuck to the game plan. We did the same thing every time and it worked until it didn't. And when it didn't, it was because Miami countered and that made it look bad. And I can fully understand why watching that you say, what the heck are these guys doing? How can that guy get that wide open? Often in this series, when we see that, it will be those quick coaching tactical decisions. In that Chicago action, the first two times Miami ran it, LA trailed the, the shooter. And then they had the big man at the end run a catch hedge where he kind of met him there, made sure he couldn't turn the corner, made sure he couldn't get a a quick three off. Same sort of thing. The third time they ran it, they slipped to the second screener, got a wide open bucket. And then to LA's credit, we adjusted from there on and changed the way we were defending that action. But those are the quick, you know, within the game, those little micro battles that we, we may only see LA run a specific coverage a couple possessions in a row and then they switch it and then they're running something else for a couple possessions in a row and they switch it again because there's that quick back and forth. So Miami came to play. They made us look stupid on a couple possessions. They made us look unfocused. Some of it truly was a lack of focus. So I don't want to try to invalidate that point, but on some of those occasions, it was a tactical thing. And, and to, to LA's credit, they, I mean, we were struggling with it, but we fought and we tried to keep making adjustments. And after the game, you saw Frank Vogel interviewed and he said, you know, we weren't lazy. This wasn't an effort thing. This was an execution thing because I I think he sees what we're seeing. So LA is trying to play that game. Like the two of us have said multiple times, they're not the quickest of teams at adjusting. And it just so happens that we're playing the quickest team at adjusting. And like Miami right now, they're down a couple guys, but in general, they, they were the five seed. They weren't the most talented team in the playoffs, but they're probably the best coach team in the playoffs. This is, this is kind of like a March Madness run where all of a sudden you have like a VCU who has a really smart defensive scheme or you have a team like, 
Oh man, uh, it's been so long since college basketball. <laughs> a team like Wofford or somebody who who has a really good offensive scheme, and and they make those Cinderella runs. It's crazy that we've seen that same sort of thing in a seven game series in the playoffs. But there's a reason Miami's here. Miami didn't just face a bunch of injured teams and make it to the finals. Like they're legit good and they're better than they should be because of their coaching. So I, I think it's definitely on us to at least recognize that. And it plays, I mean, right into this podcast really well because it gives us that game within the game. Yep. But it at times it'll make us look dumb. So it, that's sure. going to happen. It's going to keep happening. But uh, I, I really enjoyed that back and forth on film. Watching it live, I didn't. <laughs> um, sure. But, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to appreciate and learn from this Miami team just in general, if you're a basketball fan or a coach or want to get into coaching. Well, and it's, so let me get this out too. It's, it's easy to get frustrated with a team when they give, t- give you 10 turnovers in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. That's just like a lot of them were truly bad plays too. Like LeBron having a bad entry pass to AD or LeBron giving a pocket pass to Dwight Howard. That's a little hot and at his knees and mm-hmm. just a, a lot of sloppiness, right? That's a good word for it, but Kind of, I also think that applies to the offensive end as well. And a lot of people were frustrated with the hesitation from the shooters. And if you watch the film, Miami isn't closing out hard like they did in game one. Guys like Caruso and KCP and Danny Green even were kind of getting to the rim and creating for others because they were closing out wildly with, you know, Tyler Hero can't close out great, but now they're closing out a little short. And they're not contesting straight away. And so those Lakers, like role players, need to notice that they have an open shot and that they have a window and not hesitate and give those guys a second to close out, set their feet, and then close, you know, contest because they've hesitated. So I think there's little things on offense where Vogel will point out, like, this is the shot you need to take because this is a better shot than a Rondo forced you know, driving layup with three mm-hmm. over three guys. So things like that, it goes on the offensive end as well. Just knowing, hey, when you get this ball in this spot after this uh, swing, like that's the shot. Like you got to take that shot. So I've noticed a lot of those in the film. But really yeah. quickly here, before we move on to the biggest X factor of the game of Jimmy Butler, I wanted to mention the Lakers bench and Kyle Kuzma. I don't have any numbers. We didn't talk about talking about Kuzma. I just want to throw a shout out. I thought he played really well, both on offense and defense. He had a couple plays on defense that he he got got by Jimmy making a nice play, but he was good at staying down on pump fakes, uh, not letting Jimmy kind of get that rhythm of backing a guy down from the high post to the mid post. You know, I I thought Kuz was good. He shot the balls cleanly and quickly, and when they closed out on him. He tried to get to the rim and swing it. I, I just, watching the film again, Kuzma, we had a Kuzma game finally. He scored 19 points. It's been a while. Yeah, he played really well, and I was happy to see the results there along with that process. Like you said, he was more decisive. He's one of our players that will actually attack the rim, and, and you know, at times he'll still pump fake nobody if there's if there's somebody not in front of him <laughs> and give the defense a chance to close out. <laughs> Air Magic Johnson pass. <laughs> yeah. But, but at the same time, he, in that matchup against Jimmy Butler, he, he held him down fairly well. That was his most common matchup of this game. He got a steal. Jimmy missed a couple shots. He did a good job staying in front. And, and Jimmy Butler's an amazing player, and he's going to hit some shots. But 
Kuzma did a great job there. And offensively, when we had KCP and Danny Green really struggling with those inverted ball screens that should have been ghost screens but weren't, Kuzma came in, ran one ghost screen, we got a mismatch. Ran another, got an open three. Ran a third one, slipped it, got a shot at the rim. Making quick decisions, or, or, or whoever that player is, r- just run your route. Let, yeah. let LeBron be the quarterback. You don't Thank need you. to try to think that possession through with how that action works run your route you know we're getting a a show and recover if you slip to the rim that should be open but don't do it if there are guys in the paint if you sprint to the three-point line that should get you open or create a mismatch and and those worked in games one and two so just decisiveness is so key in the finals like it's not just a performance thing where guys don't hit shots or they're hesitant and, and those really matter but being able to think and trust your instincts and make quick decisions in those high pressure moments is something that I was really pleased with how Kuz showed out the, this in this game three. So I, I don't have any problem with him playing more. I can understand why LA may be hesitant to play Danny Green as much as they did or play KCP or Rondo later in the game when Jimmy Butler might be hunting them as mismatches. But D- Kuzma did a great job. Yeah, that, that's a really good call out. Yeah, so I just wanted to give him a shout out. A lot of things that don't show up on the box score per se, but he gave the Lakers and Markeith, of course, as well, uh, a little bit of a, a boost in those role player output because the starters were were struggling so much. But we got to get to Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, 40 points. Was it 11 rebounds, 13 assists, two blocks, two steals, five turnovers, zero personal fouls. No threes. He, no threes, no threes attempted. He was 14 of 20 and 12 of 14 from the free throw line. I mean, Jimmy was doing it all, man. He was the, the quarterback on, on the team. He was, even though, like, I, I, I'm trying to look up his potential assists right now, and I'm not going to the right place. It's giving me, like, the regular season. But, mm-hmm. man, watching that film again, he must have had, like, 20, 25 potential assists because you know, Tyler Hero was 6 of 18, you know, they missed open shots. Olenek had a good game, but you know, he missed a couple of wide open threes. He went three for five, which is great. But you know, Andre Godala got a wide open corner three. He missed Tyler hero was two for seven. Duncan Robinson's three for 10. Jay Crowder's two for eight. That's Ooh. not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, that there, that's where Jimmy got these guys a lot more than they gave him. So Jimmy went nuclear and really put this team on their back do you think that he can do this for an entire series? I do expect we'll see Bam at some point to change up the chemistry of these matchups. But do you think Jimmy Butler can do what he did? Or can the Lakers find ways of taking the ball out of his hands the way they did with those amazing scores in the previous rounds? Yes and no. This this is a challenging series, not just because of Jimmy. And, and I don't want to paint this as... Jimmy Butler's a more dynamic scorer than James Harden or Dame Lillard, and therefore you Hot can't take. Win. That's not what I'm saying. That's not Hot what take. I'm saying. Aggregator. There, it's, the, the, it's the supporting cast from a personnel standpoint and from an X's and O's standpoint that make it so you can't play him that same way. Or if you do, they'll probably burn you. And we saw the Lakers in this game when they ran harder hedges or when they – Often they were actually switching, but but the, I'd categorize the Lakers switches in two different ways. They had catch 
hedge sort of switches where the guy met whoever the ball handler was and then they switched. Or there were a couple times where we actually had that man show hard and then he switched onto the player. Um, while at the same time, the original defender bailed on their original player and took the screener, which actually worked out really well. It was a much better, more effective. I think Miami got one shot in the seven times that LA ran this. But against those catch switches, switches Miami countered him really well. Uh, Jimmy Butler is often the screener in a lot of these actions on these handoffs and different things. So he's able to benefit from chaos created by Duncan Robinson or from Kelly Olenek slipping or Kelly Olenek popping. I, I was able to pull up the potential assist number 26. He had 26. I told you, dude. I told you. Crazy. <laughs> passes like one out of every four of his passes. Right. I do a shot from someone. That's insane. And the thing is, I don't know if that's going to go down all that much. Like he played like 45 minutes, but right. he, if they're smart and they are, we know they are, they're going to continue running their offense through Jimmy Butler. And if we look at how he scored his 40 points, which, which I sat through and broke down, 16 of those were isolating against his man. It wasn't a mismatch. It wasn't transition or from a pick and roll or anything. It was just Jimmy going at his dude. He had two against KCP, four points against Kuz, two against Green, six on Morris, and two on LeBron. That's half our team right there. Um, yeah. He also had eight points in isolation mismatches and another four posting up Caruso or KCP. He had seven points in transition, which that's, I mean, it's, it's harder to take that away. He had two points because uh, LA botched one of the ghost screens that we like to run and Miami likes to run and we can't seem to figure out how to defend or we couldn't last game. Uh, he scored two points attacking from a pick and roll and he had one point on a free throw because he got fouled attacking the rim after a handoff. But the fact that so many of his points are isolating and not from some action, that makes me worried because that's harder to take away. If you do want to take that away, you're sending a double team or you're doing some of those things that we've seen teams do against the Lakers where you're pre-rotating or you're stunting hard or you're uh, packing the paint. But Miami has enough movement and they run enough actions constantly that it makes it harder to pack the paint and not get burned with, with pin downs or flare screens. You, you can't be stunting off of Duncan Robinson. It, it's so much more difficult when they have the shooters that they do and the motion that they have to try to be more creative. We, we can't do the same things we, gonna, we did against Houston or against Portland because they're going to beat us if, if we do those same, uh, if we run those same coverages. So it's a tough situation. If you think about how Miami can attack and how they've shown they're, they're willing to attack from, from a ball screen coverage, if you're dropping, they'll pick and pop. If you're running those catch hedges or any harder coverages and, and they can, they're going to slip it and they killed us with those. If you switch, they're going to go after these mismatches. So you really are picking a poison. It's not picking, oh, this one's the good option. It's a lot of bad options. And because Bam Adebayo isn't that screener and because they have Kelly Olenek often as the screener, right. they're completely dynamic. It's, it's almost harder to guard because every single one of those options is easily available. No matter what your coverage is, as long as Miami adjusts quickly, which they have been, mm -hmm. they're going to be, they, they are at least able to beat it. So it's a really challenging situation. They adjust so quickly that it's, it's truly, it's tough, but. And it's, and it's a little different too, right? Because Bam is out and because Olenek and Myers Leonard are stretching the floor, it's a more five out spacing for Jimmy to go to work after that mismatch. And KCP stands no shot on guys like him. You know, KCP's 
has to be a bigger de- defender, in my opinion, to to be a plus on, on, in one-on-one coverage. Because any guy who's a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical is going to just get him out of there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that play changes with Bam in there. And I do expect him to come back next game, I think. I think they'll really throw in all their chips for game four because it's the, that big of a difference between 2-2 two, two, uh, and 3-1. But sorry to interrupt you. I just like, yeah, the chemistry of the Olenek Leonard part of this changes what those ISOs look like, right? Yeah, it does. And you see, like, especially watching these plays in order, you'll see the, oh, okay, the Lakers are running this coverage. Two plays later, Miami counters it and they get a wide open shot. LA switches their, their coverage up. Two plays later, Miami goes at it exactly the way you would want to. So it's just a constant rock, paper, scissors. And, it's I mean it's fascinating to watch but as a Laker fan it's a little scary because they're they have the answer to anything any one of those conventional coverages coverages we can do and the unconventional stuff where you bring extra help is less appealing because of that five out because of that chemistry because of the motion they run so it's not as simple as oh double team or go under his ball screens because most for most of these he's not running them off of ball screens or maybe he's the screener in the action so, or when they do run ball screens, they're, they're at the wings instead of the top of the key and they're attacking downhill and you just can't go under. So when you can go under, go under. Often you can't. Often he's just taking whoever LA puts as his defender and he's going at him. He's not going to be this efficient all the time. So there may be some regression there. And I, I think LA can make the adjustments offensively to regain the overall edge, but this still very much be a battle. I would really seriously look at playing that 3-2 zone that I talked about on the, the pre-series pod because we know Miami's bad against zones. They've been bad against 3-2 zones. It would solve this problem. It would allow LA to keep rim protection at the rim. And that has been where Jimmy's trying to score. He's, he's not lighting you up from mid-range. If, if you can stay in front of him, which some of our defenders have done more than others, you're in okay shape. But when he's able to get by somebody or he's able to post up a mismatch, that's where he's like he he's probably not going to regress all that much on those shots. He's going to keep hitting those. So if you're running a three two zone and oh there's Dwight Howard or oh Anthony Davis is at the rim, those are challenging situations for him. And there are more clear rotations, and you know exactly where everybody's going to be. And so I I see that in you know go back and listen to the pre series pod for the other reasons, but there are a lot of reasons a three two zone could make sense. This is actually, like you talked about in Game 3 against Denver, what the Lakers went to to actually pull themselves into that game that they had no business being in. So after a loss, we, we've seen every series after a loss, Vogel's a little bit more willing to switch things up. Maybe that was the loss that uh, lets them know it's, it's time to pull this trigger. Because if they're looking at the same film I am, I think they're probably asking themselves the same question. Like, of the options we have, Jimmy isolating probably is the best option as opposed to giving up slips to the rim where someone's just catching and shooting layups or dunks or giving up wide open threes this might be the best of those bad options so running that three two could be an answer to that when jimmy's not involved like you said la did much better job we've seen tyler hero for the third game in a row when la runs drop coverage he's not scoring against it he didn't score a point against it this game in the two times we ran it but we didn't run that against jimmy Um, because he wasn't running ball screens as often. Uh, Against those switches, we saw Miami attack them with fake dribble handoffs where the the ball handler would then drive 
We've seen them just drive around the hedge. We've seen them try to attack downhill on, on handoffs closer to the rim. Um, we've seen them run double drag screens where you have two ball, uh, two screeners on the same side, and that pulls the defense out a little bit more. And then when you slip, the paint's even wi- more wide open. We've seen them attack on the empty side just to pick mismatches and then go isolate in a post up against Rondo or KCP. So against the switching that we're doing, they can just, you know, get a switch and then isolate, but they're also doing smart tactical things to attack switches in ways other than just, you know, I'm going to get my switch and then go 1v1 from the top of the key. Because if if that's what's happening, I feel okay about our situation. It's obviously not the best, but that's better than a lot of these other options. But they are taking advantage of our switches to also get slips or or those uh, other great situations. So Miami isn't just attacking switches in conventional ways. They're finding creative ways. And this is, uh, among the other things we covered, might be a way to push LA into playing that 3-2 zone, which I think would allow them to really regain the edge in the series. And we might see them play it for more than a single game moving forward if if Miami doesn't adjust. So it it feels like it would take, right, like one of the greatest finals performances over an entire series for Jimmy to do this on his own, as well as the Lakers not getting their stuff together too. We saw that with the Clippers, you know, kind of letting their guard down. haven't seen that yet with the Lakers except for one game at a time. So I'm not ready to go there yet, but there is a world Tim where Jimmy Butler scores 40 points and gets 20 assists tonight and the Lakers lose by 30. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could happen. And and he's going to have those opportunities because especially if we're looking at points, rebounds and assists, when we talk about rebounds, their bigs are often trying to box out. They're not the best individual defensive rebounders. But but the numbers that we have on them tell us that the team rebounds better when they're on the court. And we have numbers showing how often they're boxing out. So we know Kelly Olenek, he's not going to go beat LeBron for, for a, a, uh, the rebound. He's going to box somebody out and then let his other players take care of that. And that player is often Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler in our data, he he's, doesn't have blow-you-away rebound numbers from a, like a raw number standpoint. But when you look at his success rate pulling in rebounds, especially relative to the circumstance he has, and we have numbers to look at that, how often they're contested, how far they are from the rim, how often his teammates box out, he's an elite defensive rebounder and offensive rebounder. So that's going to continue happening. The assists, like we said, as long as Bam and Dragic are out, they're going to keep running offense through this guy. So he's going to have 20 to 30 potential assists a game. It's just a matter of how high quality are they and are players hitting their shots. So we can see anywhere from, you know, six to to 20 assists for him. Um, (laughs) And then the points, as long as LA is picking their poison between these different things and playing man-to-man defense, I can very easily see a world where they say, all right, if you're going to beat us, beat us this way. And Jimmy might put up another couple of these performances if if we're giving him favorable matchups. Now, he might get worn down. He might have an off-day shooting. There are a number of different things that could go in LA's favor, and this— could you very easily fall apart, but well, the margin of error is so much smaller, right? When a guy has to be that good every night, but it's still a favorable situation because he's sure. picking mismatches. Um, sure. And even when he's not, he's, I mean, he can attack a lot of these guys with, with the force and control he has to get to the rim, collect himself and then go up and, and maybe not always making the shot, but even drawing fouls too. Like he's, he's going to be able to go at our defenders. This, this is a weakness we knew about the Lakers that was a big reason I wanted to play Miami instead of Boston is we don't have wing defense. 
and we're seeing that come out. We're, we're, the points Jimmy Butler is putting up aren't against AD. They're not against LeBron. They're against everybody else. And until we can find a way to keep, and even we saw LeBron getting blown by against Jimmy. Jimmy's just so good right now. If we can put AD on him more, that would be interesting. That might lead to more foul trouble for AD. Uh, if we can zone up, I think that solves a lot of these issues. But like you said, it's going to take a, a great historical performance, but we may be in a scenario where both teams say, you know what? Sure. The, that the, If that's what you're giving us, that's what we're going to go for. And and this is our best player. We're going to let him be our best player. And odds are you're still going to you know rotate and try to help, and we're going to get open threes from it. So we may see more of this. It may not always work, but they're going to go down swinging and this isn't the worst way in the world for Miami to be playing right now with with Jimmy Butler attacking KCP or Rajon Rondo. Lakers deserve to lose this game. You know, like I said, they it was kind of a miracle that they were in it to begin with. Um, their bench played really well with 38 points from from Keith and Kuz. But Tim, are the Lakers in trouble here? We talked, we, we gave Miami their credit right here, but are they in trouble long term? They are in a situation like they were after game three of last series, where given everything that's happened, if nothing changes, this is this is a battle, and, and there is a path forward that leads to LA losing this series. LA just needs to be able to adjust. And in this series, unlike last series, there are fewer options to adjust, and we know that the opposing team has more options to continue countering and playing that chess game. So I, I don't think L.A. is cooked. We're, we're, this isn't over. We're up 2-1. We're in a great situation. This team is still missing two of their best three players who they may be getting back at some point soon, especially now we know we're going to a game five. They're going to have that extra rest day off. We're going to have to game Tuesday and then a game not until Friday. So if they win game two, I would that would mean a lot of things continued to not go so well and, and we're probably in trouble um and they may be coming back with a continued coaching edge plus a boost to their roster but if la can lock in and win this next game and show that we have those adjustments we are going to give vogel all the praise because it's not just him needing to out adjust d'antoni it's him needing to out adjust or or at least hold serve against the best coach in the league at this stuff and it's going to be a challenge and I don't want to say that LA's in trouble in terms of like, hey, we're going to lose this series. But if we just look at like the odds on the series right now, I think it's like plus 900. There's more than a one in nine chance that that Miami can turn this one around. So I'm not saying go bet that, but I think this will be more of a battle than that may indicate. And a lot of what we saw in game three is pointing in that direction. But we may get to game four and LA runs a 3-2 zone and, and Miami can't score against it and then this one's over pretty quickly. So <laughs> we could be in trouble. There's a lot in front of us. We have plenty of opportunity. I don't want to be the doom and gloom guy, but there are real challenges ahead. It's going to take performances going in a certain team's direction for Miami to, to be winning, but the stage is set. They have their opportunity. If they can keep playing really well and and defending really well and ad somehow only gets however many what do you have nine shots or something the path is there we we've seen how to defend this laker team and miami knows how to and they're able to adjust so i feel much differently now than i did 24 hours ago 
or actually more more like after game one because after game two I said oh crap Miami has a lot going on offensively I can see how they're able to take advantage of us we might be in trouble we didn't get to pod so you guys didn't get to hear that uh but we saw that materialize in game three offensively I think LA is able to make all the adjustments we need to and then even if Jimmy's putting up crazy numbers if we figure out those offensive adjustments we should be fine and we should win the series so a lot needs to go wrong, but a lot, a lot could, in theory, go wrong, but I, I don't believe it will. Yeah, I still remain confident, but there are things to be concerned by. I I felt like KCP and Danny Green were a little bit under their, um, not just performance, but their physical output. You know, we saw Danny Green leave a good portion of game two with like that left hip flexor, I think it was. And there was also a sequence in game one where... KCP was on the ground like three straight plays, really diving after balls and getting in a scrum with like Jay Crowder and other guys. And he came up really like he stood, he stayed on the on the defensive end, just kind of unable to get up the court. They looked a little bit just beat up, man. They've been in the bubble like damn near 90 days now. And it's not an excuse. I just wonder if those guys particularly are feeling a little bit beat up is is what I felt last night with Caruso and Kuzma bringing a little bit more juice to the to the lineup. But just again, quickly here before we get out, is any of this scheme or adjustment that you expect to see from the Lakers rotation based? We haven't talked a lot about them changing the rotation this series because I guess we felt they they've had the personnel that they should. Uh, do you still feel that way? Uh, I think. I, I don't have any huge recommendations or takeaways from a personal standpoint. If we do play zone, we should be playing bigger. I think we right. have an edge against how they're defending AD when we have a lob threat. And I mean, for what, the fourth series in a row, we see open lobs that aren't thrown. So if they're seeing them and they're going to throw them, great, do it. But if they don't, we lose that benefit to an extent. Um, but if we can continue asserting our will from a rebounding standpoint, that would be beneficial. And I think there's a path here where playing Howard Moore, playing the right way offensively, utilizing those lobs makes AD's life easier. It allows us to get more second chance opportunities. It allows us to break what they're trying to do offensively, or I'm sorry, defensively. And then if we do play 3-2 zone, you have a, a real rim protector at both of those backline positions. We didn't see, we saw LA switch like this whole game. We didn't see Jimmy Butler go at Dwight Howard. And, and score against him. We saw him go at Markeith Morris quite a bit, either hunting that mismatch or because Morris was his on-ball defender from the start of a possession. If he's being beaten one-on-one like that, you lose a lot of the value that his versatility brings to the team defensively. And with how LA has been defending a lot of these actions they'll be able to do the same thing with Howard in over Morris from a man-to-man defensive standpoint. So I feel more willing to put him in more. Um, I doubt we'll see JaVale because they haven't been willing to, to play him, but in theory he could play as well. But that, that might be what I'm looking at, or even less KCP or less Danny Green, more Kyle Kuzma. More, I think more Dwight and Caruso minutes need to happen. I think more Kuzma minutes need to happen. But there are paths for LA to win the series Either way, this I, this isn't me sounding an alarm and saying LA needs to play a certain way to win this, but sure. I think they can win at the margins a bit more if they 
put some of those better combos out there and if they put them in better positions to succeed. I mean, at some point, you got to consider if Danny Green has another really poor shooting experience. At some point, you got to start Kuzma for him because that that starting lineup, Danny Green gets targeted on defense too because he can't guard Jimmy Butler. He fouls so much, Tim. Danny Green, yeah, he, he'll make a nice weak side blocks every once in a while. He'll make a nice strip. But the way I see him throw his body around and he complains that he didn't foul, it's really frustrating because Danny Green is a very handsy defender. And if he's not making shots, if he's not even willing to take those open shots, at some point you have to consider a lineup change. And mm-hmm. I'm not there yet, but you know, if you go down 2-2 to this team, and one of your losses is a game without Bam Adebayo. Maybe two of your losses are a game without Bam Adebayo. You really got to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, what am I doing wrong? Where am I not putting these guys in positions to succeed? And am I being too rigid and not being willing to be flexible in taking a risk, which is what it would be? It would be. These guys have been playing in these lineups. They're used to playing with certain feels and certain guys. They know what to do. It's different, but... At some point, you got to throw stuff at a wall if, if nothing's starting to stick. Yeah, constantly self-scouting, constantly taking a look, not sure. just at some of the individual numbers, but specific lineups um, and, and specific two- and three- and four-man groupings will allow LA, and, and especially you know considering who they're playing against, I think will help the Lakers figure out what's working, what isn't working, and... and continue to continuously improve even when you win you want to be taking a look at yourself they lost today or yesterday so they're probably taking a deeper look at themselves but no matter what moving forward you have to be trying to optimize every every little thing you can not just make decisions to change things when you have to um, Mm -hmm. because you can't afford to drop another games to this team because you you felt like you had a uh, some room for for uh, some margin for error some some buffer You, you don't want to go into the series 2-2 with one or both of Bam or Dragic coming back. Um, even if you go into game five with neither of them back, you, you're still 2-2 two and two against the same team without those same mm-hmm. players. So uh, there's all the opportunity in the world for the Lakers to make the right adjustments, decisively win this next game, and hopefully the game after that, and leave this finals not just winning, but trying to silence some of the the criticism and we'll look at this one game as Jimmy Butler went off and it was a great, great performance, but you know, LA won and they would have won no matter who was out there. I don't want to limp into game five, two and two, and then barely, barely beat or, or win in seven games against this team plus Bam or, or plus Dragic because not just from a title standpoint, but moving forward with what that title would mean. Uh, it definitely allows for more questions to be asked and, way more drama that doesn't need to to happen as long as LA wins at these margins, makes the adjustments and, and kicks some butt in game four. Yeah, I get it. Trust me. I, it, it would be poetic for the Lakers to win in five in every series, at least. So I'm pulling for that. I think we're both cautiously optimistic for the Lakers chances in game four. And uh, we'll try and come right after that game and get to you guys soon. I'll talk to you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.